Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 260 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking all things coffee, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly and scary stuff. <laughs> yes. uh, but y'all know we love our coffee. This is just such a common question I think that we get you know, on Instagram and in clinic. And I feel like every year there's a couple of studies coming out that are like, coffee is amazing and it has all these health benefits. And then there are others that say coffee is going to kill you. Um, So we'll be debunking kind of some of the common myths and and kind of talking about where we land and where we're at with coffee right now. Yes. And our personal experience and, and like you said, clinical outcomes with shifts of increasing coffee consumption or downright replacing it with an alternative health beverage. We'll also talk about some of the on-trend adaptogenic blends and like the chicory root, dandelion root stuff that's out there and where tea could fit and so much more. And I am personally in a pretty dynamic coffee evolution shift of my relationship, I would say for sure. So I will be sharing my updates as well. So before we get into today's episode, let's talk about what's going on in the world with Naturally Nourished. Yes. So right now we have just opened um, sales for our next next level keto program. This one is starting on October 27th. So kind of right before Halloween and it runs for six weeks consecutively. So instead of like our our keto program that goes every other week, this is every week to really give you that guidance and kind of hand-holding support through the hardest part of the holiday season. Absolutely. We do skip the week of Thanksgiving. So there's one little boop interim of the six weeks consecutive, but that actually helps because that's going to carry you into December, which really helps to kind of harness, like Becky said, what can often become a 10 or 15 pound slump that people find themselves in and then stressing themselves out about New Year's resolutions and getting back on track. So during this next level keto experience, this is offered to those of you who have purchased the Food as Medicine 12-week ketosis program. So you may have participated in it live with Becky and I, or you may have participated in the archive version, which is now the only version that's available on AllieMillerRD.com. So if you're listening to this and you have not taken any keto class, you would have to purchase the 12-week Food as Medicine virtual ketosis program, which is at $149. And that is an archive from our May offering of this year. And then we have had now thousands of participants through this program and next level keto assumes that you've taken that foundational course and you're taking it to the next level. So we actually do a deep dive into use of a CGM. So continuous glucose monitor, and we spend our third or fourth week with active use and troubleshooting patterns from specific 
trends of individual participants. We also, with Next Level Keto, address things like the more complex approach to hormone imbalance and adrenal fatigue and detox. We actually do a group detox at the end, which we will be doing this round again, which is annually when I do a detox anyway to kind of check myself through the holiday season and make sure that my almond flour cookies aren't creeping in daily and such. And um, we also even check in on things like various forms of fasting, making sure that you're not finding yourself in a keto rut. We re-familiarize everyone with our phases from phase one to 1.5 and phase two and really determining what's best for you. So this might be a time where if you didn't try carb cycling, you want to explore it more with direct guidance or maybe you've just loosened your grip and you want support to tighten things up and be more keto strong through the holidays any way shape or form as long as you've taken that 12-week food as medicine virtual ketosis program you are a candidate to participate and we do this much more informal than our 12-week virtual keto class so instead of having like the nerdy functional medicine powerpoint flow we do this brady bunch style on zoom with all of your squares and we're all there you can have your camera on or off but we're talking direct to you really getting to know you on a more intimate level and you really get to pick both becky and my brains so right now we're actually toying with the idea of this being our only live personal engaged program and it will be offered like becky said starting october 27th it is over the lunch hour on wednesdays is that right becky I correct wednesdays yep. Yep. so wednesdays over the lunch hour come have lunch with us and take your keto to the next level and um, we will be determining by the time that this episode goes live whether or not there will be a slack forum and what i would love to know from you guys as your feedback of if we have the 12-week food as medicine ketosis class as an archive and that's available via 149 we used to do the 12-week food as medicine virtual keto class which is this like level one i guess way to say it the foundational course uh, we used to do this about quarterly that shifted to three times a year uh, uh last year because we're just trying to survive <laughs> with all of the moving pieces and um, i ended up doing an archive version when becky was out on maternity and doing like some q a so we've been kind of whittling this kind of Frankenstein mm -hmm. hybrid model. And what we're curious about is now that we have the 12 week foundational course as an archive at 149, are there some of you that still want the $299 live version of that? It's the same PowerPoints, the same information, but yet you would be a quote unquote active participant versus in this evergreen course. Um, so if you are interested in that and you haven't taken the first level and you think that that would be more of an appeal, just shoot me a DM on Instagram at AllieMillerRD so I can see your feedback. But I think what I'm planning on doing is just keeping that foundational course as an archive and not doing that live ever again. And this next level keto will always be the live, more intimate, engaging experience. Yes always evolving <laughs> yeah well we love to watch your yeah. demands and needs exactly. and create things that best support you guys for best outcomes yes awesome all right so beyond that let's get to our sponsor for this episode fond bone broth yes so y'all know that i am obsessed with fond bone broth and i have recently just tasted their beef yeah, bone broth the grass-fed beef bone broth is fantastic it is just like their free range chicken bone broth in the sense that they make the most beautiful synergistic 
flavor profiles that really please the palate, but also combine food as medicine to really elevate bone broth, which is already super nourishing. We know we're getting the gelatin and the collagen for connective tissue support and gut health and hair, skin, and nails. We're also getting that L-glutamine for feeding our enterocytes, our gut cell lining, as well as N-acetylcysteine um, to help as an expectorant to break up mucus and phlegm and cold and flu and viral season and that immune support for the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. So y'all know we love bone broth. We were nerding out about it a couple weeks ago on our bone broth fast episode. If you missed that, go on over and check that out. That was episode 258, I believe. Um, was it 258, right? Last week. Yep. Two weeks ago. Um, and so that was a great one to check out. But Fond really takes things next level. They are slow simmered and lovingly tendered broths from simmer to seal. They use stainless steel uh, in their vats for cooking, so no plastic throughout the whole process. They use well water that is going to be tested daily for the mineralization as well as excellence to ensure no toxicity. They partner with organic farms. They have, again, sustainable sourcing and they're grass-fed or free-range, whether it's the beef or the chicken. And um, again, the flavor profiles are just fantastic from their turmeric cracked black pepper. Becky and I were sipping last podcast episode on the Nopalito, which is that Nopalis cactus with habanero and cilantro. Such a great one for seasonal impact. Like if you want to clear out your sinuses, a great way to clear a sinus infection for sure. And um, we just love Fond as a company and love partnering with them. It's truly your sous chef in a jar. It helps to elevate any dish you're making and is a delightful sipping beverage. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com backslash Allie Miller RD. And when you use the code Allie Miller RD, you will save at checkout. They have four packs of broth, and I highly suggest that you pick up at least two four packs so that you can try all their variety of delicious flavors at fondbonebroth.com. And bone broth could be a great replacement beverage, I guess, for for coffee. We just sipped on some, but I did have my coffee earlier. Yeah, this but, morning. But on maybe as your second beverage sure, instead exactly. of the second cup of coffee or third or fourth. Exactly. Exactly. Goodness. All right. Um, so as I mentioned, this is just such a common ask. And I think clients are often surprised, pleasantly surprised when I actually recommend or at least don't take away their coffee habits. Right. Sure, we might be curbing consumption or working on timing if they're dealing with sleep disturbance. Or what they're adding to Or what they're adding to coffee. it. Exactly. Exactly. That 100%. International coffee mate. I'm shocked. Oh, no. I'm shocked at how many clean eaters add just garbage to their coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's shocking. That is the I thing. I think there's such a nostalgia that people establish with their coffee relationship. Yep. And um, a lot aren't willing to go to that grass-fed butter, coconut oil, or heavy cream, which I think heavy cream or raw oh, milk amazing. is the way to go. Yep. But yep. We'll get there in a minute. Yeah, totally. All about what you add to it. But let's just talk a little bit about um, coffee here to start. Sure. So yeah, a lot of the beneficial research we're looking at speaks to neurological health. And I think Parkinson's disease, as we'll get into the nitty gritty of studies in a moment, is going to be one of the strongest elements as well as dementia. But a lot of the U.S. population consumes coffee. It's guesstimated over 50% of U.S. adults drink coffee every single day. And worldwide, coffee is the second most consumed beverage to water in many nations. So It even beats wine, Becky. Can you believe that? No. (laughs) 
Those are the three things I drink, water, coffee, and wine. pretty much my game. It was until (laughs) tea came in like a victorious (laughs) hero for me. Um, So coffee can be kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, You know, I think the big draw to coffee, a lot of people like that robust, um, you know, taste of coffee the the taste of the roast Mm -hmm. essentially is what we're getting often as well as of course the characteristics of the beans so you do get some of that terroir that play with the earth or where the coffee bean is grown I think there's the nostalgia to it like something that I love about coffee uh, back in the day Brady and I have been together like 18 years and so back in the day we would have the coffee pot on our timer and we would literally like wake up smelling coffee you know I remember that as a deep like imprint in my memory and so that was a huge nostalgia draw and then also the idea of Brady and I would always call them a sexy coffee and like so if we had extra money in our budget we would walk to a coffee shop and go sit and you know read a book or something or do you know crossword puzzles or whatever and hang out and and sip what we'd call a sexy coffee which would be like a latte and we would do that more than we would go get a wine or something like that you know especially in the college days And um, I think that the big draw of coffee consumption is the alertness and productivity. Yeah. You know, we all like that like zing of I'm that association of I'm out of bed, but I need a lot of people would say I need my coffee to feel awake or I'm not functional until I have my cup of coffee. Sure. So there's that, you know, impact of that improved productivity or surge of energy. However, the downstream of that surge is everything that comes up must come down. (laughs) And so there can be both that anxious, jittery impact, especially like black coffee on an empty stomach. I see that to be a lot more impact. And that can drive almost like racing thoughts or difficulty of focus. And then there can be a midday crash from that coffee consumption. And then there's things that we'd weigh out as far as nutritionally, the idea of the antioxidants that coffee provides, as well as the potential impact of it binding or trapping or driving mineral or nutrient deficiency as a diuretic, as well as just kind of the mechanism of the coffee itself. Yes. So we'll cover both pros and cons and try to be balanced despite you know both of us having a a good relationship with coffee except for the name like the good the bad and the ugly sounds like we're going to be harsher on it right i think that's just because i've recently shifted my relationships yeah (laughs) sorry for that maybe we could say the good the medium and the ugly or something um let's talk maybe through just kind of nutritional profile of coffee obviously there's no calories to coffee there's not a lot um to it in that sense um there are some a couple of B vitamins, not in high no <laughs> amounts, and it's if pretty any, negligible. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much nothing, but B two, B five's got a little bit, yeah, um, a little bit going for it. Riboflavin, I think, is the highest singing hero, and it's eleven percent of your daily value if you're consuming an eight ounce pour. Sure, uh, you know, when we look at the nutrition from coffee, we're looking at what's derived from the berries of the plant itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then again, the fermentation and roasting process is where we'll see the increase of the antioxidants. And I think the antioxidants are more of what we would see the health supporting yeah, properties yeah, from for sure. than quote unquote micronutrients themselves. And, and when we're talking about other compounds that impact brain and body, caffeine would be one that we have to note. An average cup of coffee is going to have about 95 milligrams of caffeine. Yes. So yeah, coffee really shines in that antioxidant department. So we're looking at research showing that it may contain more polyphenols. I've heard it both ways, honestly, than than cocoa, green tea, black tea, or herbal tea, or at least it's pretty high up up there. there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. 
And definitely higher than that means it's more of a superfood versus those that you'd find in fruits and vegetables sure. per se. Yep. Um, and we're looking at as the like key constituents, antioxidants, the uh, caffeic acid and then chlorogenic acid. Chlorogenic, chlorogenic acid. acid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are going to be as powerful antioxidants support to reduce oxidative stress. And this is where we tend to see a lot of the impact on the brain function. Again, we think of dementia. We think of the cognitive decline driving with plaque formation. And we think of uh, lower blood flow to the brain. So the more antioxidant that you can get, the reduced oxidative stress, uh, less uh, plaque and tar formation in the brain, and better blood flow. So that's kind of some of the mechanism there. And there are studies that we will link in the show notes that look at the intake of concentration of antioxidants, looking at coffee, wine, and vegetables as well. Sure. Um, So let's dig in. Let's maybe cover just some of the health benefits of of coffee or some of the research. Um, And it's important to note, you know, nutritional research. I think a lot of the research we've seen in the past linking coffee to disease, um, a lot of times those intakes often contained like cigarettes and unhealthy foods mm-hmm. as well. Um, so we're thinking a lot of like the early studies on coffee maybe were not as as profound as they seem to be at the time. Because there was some studies that looked at links of coffee to heart disease yep. and asthma. And the consideration exactly right is that it's a food recall. And so it's, of course, not an evidence-based, controlled, randomized trial. Uh, There has been research studies looking at two to five cups of coffee a day, which is more than maybe a standard food frequency Mm -hmm. tracker. And there has been evidence of lower likelihood of type 2 diabetes, as well as lower likelihood of heart disease, uh, support to protect against liver and endometrial cancers, as well as Parkinson's disease and depression. And there is some studies out there that would actually look at overall lower mortality or risk of death. Yes, and and in those studies, we're looking at coffee drinkers being less likely to die from some of the leading causes of disease, especially women, actually, for whatever reason. Um, So, you know, given all of that, knowing that coffee might make you live longer. Yes. In fact, there was a long-term research study in over 400,000 individuals aged 50 to 71, and they found that coffee drinkers had a much lower risk of dying over the 12 to 13-year study period. So again, this is correlation, not causation per se, and it's observational feedback. But if you like the taste of it, it seems like there could be some mechanisms that could benefit you. So maybe we nerd out on some of those mechanisms. Yeah, it looked like those benefits started at more like four to five cups a day, which is generally more than we will recommend. Yes, this is true. Um, But um, we have seen some evidence um, that drinking coffee can significantly reduce the risk for type 2 diabetes. Um, And again, that was at like six cups a day, but evidence that maybe slightly less (laughs) would still have some benefit. 
Right. There was a large research review that was done in the archives of internal medicine, and they looked at each cup of coffee. So each cup of coffee consuming linked to a 7% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So even just two cups of coffee could yield that 14% reduction per se. And that's where, again, you might see more significant outcomes as you go up into the four to six cup period. But the concern when we're getting that high means that our caffeine amount is going from 95 milligrams, we can call it 100 just for ease of math, Uh you're getting into the over 500 milligrams of caffeine, and that's where then we would look at potentially the harmful effects of blood pressure and influence on um, the adrenals, of course. Yeah, stress and sleep are like the big two that I think of. Like, how do you fit all that coffee in and then also be able to sleep at night. So you have to have the genetic SNP um, that you have hypermetabolism of caffeine, I'm sure, so that you can still get the polyphenol antioxidants, but not have that delayed caffeine expression or metabolic impact. And so for those individuals, and that's why there's always this N equals one, which I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. When we were looking at the research for today's episode, you know, I often, for instance, with estrogen dominance, will recommend against coffee consumption or limiting it to eight ounces or one cup daily. Um, but we've seen studies like, for instance, you know, Asian women will have an increase of estrogen expression when consuming coffee, but uh, Caucasian women will not. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, was that just something within that mechanism of that study? I couldn't find a repeat study to sure. confirm that. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot that has to do with potential genetic and metabolic impact through your microbiome as well. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the estrogen connection, which sure. is, I think, really important to know. Yep. yep. Um, and back on the type 2 diabetes piece of the puzzle, there is some evidence that coffee consumption can slow down um, the absorption of glucose in the bloodstream. So that's the, the supposed mechanism. Okay. Well, I think that that's interesting for sure. And then the oxidative stress is what would you know, impact the impact of the diabetes. And we're talking about the pathophysiology of the kidney health. And we're talking about impact of glycosylation Mm -hmm. or, you know, the damage that high blood sugar does. There's both that blocking effect of, um, you know, not chelating per se, but essentially that malabsorption effect that the coffee blocks from the high sugars. And then also the antioxidants of the protection for Sure. sure. Um, and then in the Department of Cardiovascular Health, kind of extending from diabetes into overall metabolic health, um, we have seen some evidence that just one to two cups a day um, can decrease the risk of heart failure. So thinking about like the heart muscle being mm-hmm. weakened, um, that maybe the coffee has some impact there. Again, probably the antioxidant um, components. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that you know, a lot with the CoQ10 research yes. out there. So I'd say CoQ10 probably more effective and, and direct than coffee, but for sure some, some evidence. Yes. And, you know, there's other antioxidants that are shown in coffee beyond those two that you noted. So there's the cafestol and um, also the, I'm not going to pronounce this right. It's K-A-H-W-E-O-L. Kaweol. Kaweol? I don't know. That's how I'm saying it. Kaweol. Kaweol. Antioxidant. And um, (laughs) these are diterpenes. So, you know, terpenes are just a molecule uh, in the biochemical world. And these are diterpenes that have been shown to actually support cholesterol balance in the body. Um, We've seen that habitual coffee consumption can have a reduced mortality, but also can lower that total LDL and may increase the HDL, which is going to create a more favorable lipid 
acid profile. And again, although that coffee has that stimulating effect, it can actually reduce the risk for heart arrhythmia. Um, however, individuals that have elevated blood pressure would uh -huh. be those that would not fit into the bank for coffee consumption for heart health because caffeine directly can increase right. blood pressure. Yep. And that's interesting knowing that coffee often makes some of us feel jittery, but that again might be back to the individual kind of tolerance and, and genetic predisposition. Sure. And then as we're looking in this kind of aging profile, we're moving on to brain health, which like I said, I think this is where the strongest research yeah. lies, where they've actually done more randomized clinical trials. Um, they've looked at a 32 to 60% lower risk of Parkinson's disease. So that's a pretty remarkable impact. And it also was cumulative um, as far as the results. So the more coffee, the lower the disease risk respectively. Okay. And also some evidence that coffee consumption can actually help with better um, uh, control of, of movements in Parkinson's, which again, we typically think of more like jittery, shaky mm -hmm. from coffee. So that's very interesting that it has the opposite effect in those populations. Absolutely. Um, and Alzheimer's too. Um, so we're looking at um, two plus cups of coffee per day, providing significant uh, protection. Again, most of the research looks like it's in women. Um, so women age 65 and older, two to three cups per day, less likely overall to develop dementia. And they've actually done cognitive testing in a more randomized clinical trial approach where they've looked at memory and functional brain health with coffee consumption and have seen that with two months of treatment of caffeine treatment in the form of coffee, there was favorable outcomes. And so that stimulant, if you will, can actually activate some of that neuroplasticity or that neurological connection to memory and brain health. Sure. Yep, I could see that for sure. With helping <laughs> I know with, I feel like know, it turns sharpness. my brain on. <laughs> for sure. Um, and then liver health as well, likely due to um, the antioxidant impact. But I wonder too about just the bitterness of, of coffee having impact on the liver. Yeah, at driving bile flow. Yeah. And, and there is some studies that look at lower ALT and AST. So liver enzyme levels tend to be more in the healthy range of coffee drinkers as opposed to mm -hmm. those who don't. Absolutely. And lowered overall risk of um, liver disease, including cirrhosis or that development of scar tissue in the liver. Yes. And so it's probably that mechanism of the antioxidant itself, which is going to reduce the inflammatory process in the body. Um, we do know, like I said earlier, that uh, coffee consumption can actually reduce cancer as well in uh, liver and endometrial cancer. And so this is an area where coffee could be very protective. Yep. And, and even colorectal cancer, looking at a 26% um, reduction, according to some research um, in terms of, of colon cancer risk. And for colon cancer and colon health, as well as liver, I'll note that that is both decaf and uh -huh. regular coffee. So this is more, again, looking more likely at the antioxidants itself than the caffeine. Uh -huh. Whereas to note the brain and neurological research is more specific to the caffeine. Right. So when we're talking about Parkinson's, 
Parkinson's disease and dementia, you're not going to get those same outcomes without the caffeine. And I believe cardiovascular is kind of a horse apiece. So in some of the cardiovascular mechanisms, we'll still see the benefit, like the lipid modulation, however, uh, the arrhythmia, Mm -hmm. and some of those more when we're looking at electrical charge or heart Heart rate. Yeah, that's going to require that caffeine as well. Super interesting. We'll get into like what's best when you're selecting a decaf and yes. what to look for and all the things as well. Yes. And then there is some impact as both the antioxidant and, uh, you know, likely that influence of blood thinning effect uh, to less suffer a stroke. So lower blood clot formation per se or mobilization of clot, which would be stroke reduced risk. Um, and then looking at brain function, you know, we alluded to the Parkinson's and Alzheimer's connection, um, but we can also see um, caffeine, that stimulant impact, helping with, you know, alertness and um, release of those neurotransmitters like epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. So increasing that brain activity again, I think, you know, depends on the amount and what you're looking for there. Yeah. And that underlying mechanism is that the caffeine itself. So it gets tricky. And this is where you try to like pull out from the weeds because caffeine is also in cacao, Mm -hmm. right? As cacao, as we mentioned, also has really concentrated antioxidants. And then caffeine is also in tea, which has its own polyphenols beyond the EGCG, we're seeing other different impacts of the tannins that we'd find in coffee versus tea and that impact on the microbiome. So it's a it's a sticky web that we weave here. <laughs> but what we know is that the caffeine itself, so which would technically be in all three of these, um, it blocks the function of the inhibitory neurotransmitter adenosine. And so when we block this compound, this is what then liberates or increases the activity of some of those feel-good neurotransmitters like our dopamine or our norepinephrine, which help with regulating, in theory, that epinephrine. Now, we will see individuals where caffeine also will stimulate epinephrine, and that's that more direct adrenaline hit. And then this is where we can see, again, in some individuals based on likely their own adrenal status, their own stress response, what they have Mm -hmm. on their plate for the day, and their own genetic mutations or metabolic pathways, the impact of it being too high, too fast, or just the right hit. Yeah. And, and there has been research um, linking caffeine and, and coffee consumption, excuse me, um, to decreased risk of depression, but then increased risk of anxiety. So yeah, it makes sense in that in that well, and there was model. The, the negative hit there that was interesting was on the expression of serotonin, and so they've actually looked at the urinary output of those that are coffee drinkers, and they saw more 5-HIA, which is an organic acid, a component of serotonin, and that was seen as a higher urinary metabolite in coffee drinkers. So that means that those individuals would actually be at risk for lower levels of serotonin synthesis because it's an inhibitory compound. Um, so lower levels of serotonin synthesis in the brain. And you know, mind you, serotonin is necessary for sleep and of course, mood stability, d- depression and anxiety. And um, that's a mechanism outside of that adrenal hit, if sure. you will. Sure. Um, and I wanted to hit on um, body composition and um, exercise performance yes. and metabolism. I think that's another area where um, it's really the caffeine, I believe, that that is directly causing the impact. So we've seen a boost of metabolism and fat burning between three 
and 11%, and then boost of exercise performance between 11 and 12%. Um, and we're looking at like a 7% um, boost of, of metabolism within that first three hours after coffee consumption. So usually we're recommending, you know, uh, if you're working out in the morning, having your coffee like before that to help to boost the impact. Yeah, and, and as you'll see in many of those pre-workout products out yeah, there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, often it's like branched chain amino acids with caffeine and yep. a concentrated dose and maybe some electrolytes, if you will. Um, it's kind of, again, this kind of dose that makes the impact there. But we have seen that there's this mechanism where caffeine itself, again, this wouldn't be specific to coffee, but caffeine itself can actually improve the maximal uh, oxygen capacity, which will bring oxygenation to your muscles, which will enhance your muscle performance, as well as give you that vasodilation, which is going to aid in the, the muscle function. So as you're maxing out, you're going to get better output in your exercise, increase in speed and power has been seen with racing and running um, in as little as a minute post-consumption for as long of up to two hour windows okay i'll take it yes and then in coffee specifically um you had mentioned that primary antioxidant the ergogenic ergogenic acid is that what we're saying yeah ergogenic acid uh and this is um what we've seen to aid in prolonged exercise and maybe gives a little bit of a different mechanism on endurance athletes and fitness enthusiasts will will attribute the specific to coffee versus just the caffeine itself and you know again if you're someone that's looking for the exercise enhancement then this is where you might want to add it's interesting adding just a little bit of salt to your coffee Uh i don't know if you've played with that like Brady's very nerdy. He will like know the actual, you know, he knows his coffee roasters and whether it's like a first or second roast and, you know, where the beans have been grown, of course, and all of the process. And then he uses a Chemex. So, um, you know, he's like doing his temperature checked pot of heating water. He's not just simmering or boiling water. He has mm-hmm. a perfect degree that he brings up his <laughs> yeah. water to, and then he pours it through his Chemex. And again, that's kind of like the ritual nostalgia that I love of coffee. Um, but, you know, taking that to the next level will often play with, if he thinks that something's very acidic and um, berry or fruit forward, um, or if it's more um, more roasted nutty flavor profile. I mean, he has all these like notes, you know, on his fancy coffee stuff. And then we'll, we will often play with it with just like a pinch of salt. And just like food, you know, salt is that chemical bridge of flavor. It does provoke a lot more complexity in the flavor profile of the bean, but also in like a pre-workout. That's why I like yeah. to add salted butter to my coffee yeah, versus yeah, yeah. unsalted yeah. butter. We always do salted butter, come to think of it. You know yeah. what though? Yeah. I, I really feel like that's why I kind of like that sometimes more than the heavy cream. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I want to add a pinch of salt to my coffee mm-hmm. to just... Okay. But I think also the the impact on performance that fat of course is tonifying for the adrenals so a little bit protective there also teaching the body that yes fat is the preferred fuel go into ketosis and then that little bit of salt is going to provide that support for the adrenals as well as electrolytes in your performance yeah and i often recommend that to my like morning workout folks if they're not gonna you know not wanting to eat and and trying to do a prolonged fast definitely adding the salt and the fat to their coffee yes so final on the benefits i think you mentioned mood and that's kind of in that cognitive and and prevention of dementia world as well so there is that potential negative influence of interference on serotonin 
production and metabolism. Yet there was a study from Harvard in 2011 that showed that people who drank the most coffee had a 20% lower risk of becoming depressed. Now, again, is that because those are the people that are productive and they're drinking their coffee before they're living their bliss or they're going to work mm-hmm. and the other people are sleeping in and aren't setting their alarm? You, you, yeah. Again, there's all those compounding variables. Um, I don't know of a mechanism other than what we mentioned with the uh, adrenal compounds of the neurotransmitters that are boosted. And so again, your dopamine and norepinephrine and likely epinephrine will all be increased direct from the coffee. And that's the same mechanism we think of again with Parkinson's, it's low dopamine. And so getting that dopamine boost is that same mechanism on that neurotransmitter side that helps with that neurological function. So those are the neurotransmitters, again, that comes at N equals one. If you know you're someone that runs low serotonin, but you have ample dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, like your adrenals are on track, then coffee might not be the best choice sure. for you. If you're someone yep. that runs optimal serotonin, but you know you need a little bit of a boost in your dopamine, then that might be why coffee would be a better hit for you. Yep, yep, totally makes sense. Um, so obviously lots of, of benefits, and um, can we just stop here so I don't learn any of the bad stuff? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just la, 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 um, So obviously like anxiety and sleep disruption, I think that's the most common yes. complaint or the most common reason with a client that'll troubleshoot like, you know, temporarily taking them off of coffee if we are dealing with, you know, chronic insomnia or at least like shifting the timestamp of, of coffee to earlier in the day. Um, and then the jittery anxiety piece of the puzzle. Yes, because there is an influence of coffee driving that kind of heart palpitation, almost panic attack like effect. And that can be generally the caffeine itself. Again, not maybe just the coffee, like especially with like those back in the day, like caffeine pills and those diet stimulant supplement type things. We think of that similar mental, emotional um, demand, which could drive that panic attack mode. Um, But the sleep element is going to be because of the disruption in cortisol metabolism and tying back into, again, dysregulation of adrenals, of stimulating from the medulla of the adrenals, those neurotransmitters. And that's also going to then stimulate, in some sense, the cortex of the adrenals, which will impact the cortisol. So um, in sleep, we know, I mean, we'll, we'll link the episode in today's show notes on the benefits of sleep, which we put out a couple months back. But if we're saying that anything prevents disease, I think I could gladly say that sleep is a heavier hit across the board with strong clinical evidence over the benefits of many, honestly, diet. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't say supplements, nutritional supplements would be superior, but but dietary influencing factors, I would say sleep is probably the biggest lifestyle yeah. hit. So if anything's messing with your sleep gain, you got to get yeah. to the root of that. Yep. Yeah. So if you're picking between coffee and sleep, pick sleep. <laughs> and the deal is, is it creates this perpetual cycle because right. caffeine itself can be addictive. Right. Again, coffee then has the ritual. There's a very strong flavor profile. There's that dance of both tolerance and withdrawal, just like any substance. And so, you know, when people take a break from coffee, especially caffeine, they'll often get like headaches, exhaustion, brain fog, irritability, and this can last a couple days. This is where we often see a lot of chirping when people are doing our 10-day detox. And so, you know, if you're someone that, I think anytime we're feeling addicted to anything, it's good to take a rest from it because that hormesis or that effect of that stimulant or that stressor to the body will actually have more clinical benefit when you rest and rotate it Mm -hmm. in and 
and out of your system. So whether you think coffee works perfect for you and nothing to complain about, still taking a break from coffee consumption and then bringing it back in after 10 days could be a really beautiful way to actually get more of a bang for your buck, if you will, on the benefits of the coffee consumption. So our 10-day detox could be a great way to support you in this transition. For those 10 days, we do recommend tea. So you're not going from, you know, like 100 to zero. You're getting about 50 to 60% likely of your typical caffeine consumption. And um, yet you're getting a different profile of polyphenols and antioxidants, as I mentioned. And um, you're also going to get more specific support for the phase one and phase two detox pathways when you're going for rooibos, which is an uncaffeinated, um, also known as African bush tea, that red tea, beautiful Mm -hmm. tea. And then, um, or going for the EGCG in your green and white teas, where you're going to get a lot of those catechins, which have their whole own health supporting properties. So that's something to strongly consider if you're looking for support and listening to this as we're going into fall. The 10 day detox is a fabulous way to just reignite your love or um, appreciation for food as medicine, get some of those herb seasoning spices back into the diet that may have fallen off over the summer, maybe ring out from alcohol if that was becoming something that was a frequent visitor as well, and really kind of harness in on the clean eating and also get the benefits of reduced inflammation. Um, we see, of course, reductions in liver enzymes. That's like my number one. Anytime someone's mm-hmm. liver enzymes are yeah. up or they're diagnosed with new fatty, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver, or they have high alcohol consumption is, can we get them to do a 10 day detox? And using the reset, restore, renew detox packs is a great way to really accelerate the outcome. So it's not just the diet, it's getting that targeted nutritional support. Um, and having those detox packs at two or three packs daily throughout the 10 day detox is a really way to take your health to the next level. Yes. And I always enjoy that. The rest from coffee that comes with the detox. I can never seem to get myself to do it otherwise. But um, well, don't you notice yeah. often like the deeper quality sleep? Oh yeah, and that's yeah. again that that's huge. And then also like that that beautiful cup of coffee after right. um, is like oh, uh-huh. it's such a joy. Again, it's that reappreciation, yeah. kind of reigniting yeah. the 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 factor of that bliss reward. Yeah, and I usually do like matcha lattes throughout it, and I enjoy that. So it's just a, a nice swap out and like you said getting a different kind of profile of antioxidant benefit yes so 10 day detox is a way to transition or pause to reignite uh let's get into some of the ugly stuff and let's talk a little bit on insulin so this is interesting because coffee and blood sugar connection is something that i didn't make as a certified diabetes educator in the first decade of me Mm -hmm. working this way it was not until i used a cgm that i personally saw the impact of coffee consumption on my blood sugar So I'm going to kind of nerd out on the mechanisms and then let's talk Becky about our personal experiences with blood sugar and coffee. So um, the caffeine in coffee is going to drive again your catecholamines, which are your stress responding hormones made by the adrenals. So again, that's your dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. And that itself, when we get a expression of our catecholamines, is going to elicit cortisol. 
And remember, cortisol itself not only can disrupt your sleep and drive a stress response, but it also is a compound that is a glucocorticoid. So the type of steroid hormone that cortisol is actually can create a blood sugar spike directly, and that in itself can increase insulin. And then the insulin itself we know is a pro-inflammatory hormone. This can um, make us feel kind of like that crash after, almost like a blood sugar spike, where we get that high and then that slow low. And the issue is that over time, the more habitual caffeine consumption can actually decrease insulin sensitivity so that if you were then to have, God forbid, the donut with your coffee, Mm -hmm. which is a terrible combo or like the pastry or whatnot, that bitter with dessert. I am someone that honestly, if I'm going all out and I'm having like flourless chocolate cake, oh, we should share that. Here we go. I got a life experience. Um, I'm someone that like, I don't know if I'm going to do a really nice dinner. I do like a cup of coffee at the end of my night yeah. um, it, because it's that bitter with the sweet and it's that espresso. nice. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's like that nice yeah. combination. However, the last time <laughs> Becky and I went out to one of our favorite restaurants, Steiner Ranch Steakhouse, uh, we were celebrating a friend's birthday and, you know, we had a decent amount of wine throughout the meal. And so we were like, oh, okay. I'm, you know, I, I had, of course, watched my glasses throughout the night and I was driving everyone home and I was like, well, I'm going to have a glass of a cup of coffee and then maybe we'll like play meme games or hang out, you know, so I'm not going to go right to bed anyway. We're going to hang out and do some music or something. And so uh, Becky was like, oh, that sounds good. And her and I had a cup of black coffee. And the next morning we were like so headachey, like almost migraine level for me. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah. I, was, I was like, this is not a hangover because logically I didn't consume more than three glasses of wine in seven hours. Yep. Like seven it hours. Was much less than our normal. I mean, you know, it's a long period yeah. of time. And, and so it was, what we figured out was actually that the coffee can interfere with the metabolism of alcohol and delay it. And then coffee itself also, of course, is going to dehydrate uh-huh. you further, which yep. drives more of the electrolyte mineral imbalance. And then I think because we had the flourless chocolate cake to celebrate the birthday, we had the insulin response. Right. And, right. and, and for people that live in keto, this was like a lot of a dynamic Don't going do on. Don't do all three of those things nope. at once. Poor choices. Not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I went to bed without a detox pack. That was a night I should have had a detox pack. But I've now resolved after that headache to not be someone that sips a cup of coffee at bed right. or with dessert. Even if I feel like it sounds good, I'm just going to stay with a sparkling water yep. and yep. skip the headache. It sounds better. Yeah. I didn't take a detox pack either because I was like, we didn't even have that much wine. Right. Right. Like it was a normal... Yep. Anyway. Normal night. So another (laughs) another mechanism on blood sugar with coffee is that um, cholerogenic acid in coffee, and that can actually inhibit the glucose 6-phosphatase enzyme. And this is the enzyme that regulates blood sugar metabolism in the liver. So you both have the reduced insulin sensitivity, meaning that you're going to have higher insulin levels. And then we're also having an impact on how the liver regulates your blood sugar. And so that can really create than a dual impact of elevated blood sugar in habitual coffee consumers. Yeah. What did you see on your CGM with coffee? So especially if I had naked coffee, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning black coffee uh, in a fast, which is very rare, but on some days if Brady has that made, I'm running right into clinic, I'll just pour myself like a little, you know, six ouncer probably, or like four and a half, six, I don't know. Um, 
And I saw if I had coffee like that, that I had a dynamic glucose spike, upwards of 30 to 40 points. So more than I would have with a meal, including a meal with like an eighth or quarter cup Mm -hmm. or even half cup of roasted sweet potato with like a burger patty and roasted broccoli or cabbage or something like that. So dynamic. And that was likely epinephrine or adrenaline for me. I know that I also experienced um, a pretty dynamic impact in, in like heart palpitations when I consume coffee like that. And I noticed that to be uh, more exacerbated if I don't have fat. So I tried it again with adding fat and I still had about a 20 point blood sugar spike. But when I tried it with CBD oil, Mm -hmm. um, the CBD at about 30 to 40 milligrams of cannabidiol did mitigate that. And that kept my blood sugar, I think at like a appreciable, like no dynamic change, like five point shift. Um, and, And that also could be the stress of starting my day. I think the compounding variable there is that if I'm having coffee like that, it's because I'm racing into something. And so there's already that stress response with the coffee. Yeah. And for me, my morning coffee pretty much is always with fat. Um, so always the butter, sometimes the splash of, of raw milk these days, but always has some fat to it. Um, but it was, I did cold brew a few times because I was wearing it during the summer. Cold brew is like something I know I shouldn't have, but I just really <laughs> enjoy like an afternoon iced coffee pick me up like once in a while. Um, now to the point where I can't keep it in the house cause it'll just happen. Um, but I did notice a, a pretty dynamic impact and I was doing it like without a meal anywhere close to it. Um, I believe I had added coconut milk in it the first time that I noticed though. So there was at least some fat um, and there was still a pretty dynamic impact by going up into the 120s, which none of my meals really did that. Yeah. um, Unless I was really trying to challenge. And then I did it a different day um, where I added collagen and CBD and saw less of an impact, like maybe getting into more like the hundreds, which is more normal for me from a meal. Still likely not desirable to do cold brew because of other reasons and knowing like where my epinephrine is these days, I'm not going to mess with that anymore, but, um, definitely adding that CBD is, is like the, the turnkey for me. If I am going to do cold brew, it helps and I can feel it just differently in my body too. Right. It's, it's a cleaner, slower burning fuel versus the like spiky, crashy, jittery. Absolutely. And so some of the mechanisms that we noted, you know, so that, um, cholergenic acid, which can delay glucose absorption in the intestines, even though that's present, again, there's still those dual mechanisms of insulin resistance and also interfering with how the liver metabolizes glucose. So there, there's kind of a horse of peace in the world of blood sugar. And I think that this is where, again, this N equals one. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening and you, you are nerdy like us, I would highly suggest the next level keto class because when you wear that CGM, that's when you learn what works the best for your blood sugar metabolism, period. And you learn a lot about that fight or flight stress response, which is sounding like the primary negative, harmful, quote unquote, effect of coffee consumption. And, and that's kind of where I would identify the Achilles heel, if you will, is that drive of the catecholamines for an individual that already has adrenal insufficiency or adrenal imbalance or is prone towards anxiety. Yep. And seeing that data, like, you know, right yourself, in front of you on yourself, study. I think is, is where it's like, okay, maybe I am ready to yes. make a shift or, or try a different phase of my experiment. Yes. 
So a couple other mechanisms, and I, I want to go a little further into the adrenal connection, but I mentioned the diterpenes and cholesterol metabolism. Um, I had mentioned that there was a study out there that had shown lowered LDL, higher HDL. I believe all studies across the board will acknowledge an increase of HDL, but there was a study that looked at an increase as well of triglycerides, which was unfavorable. And then that same study actually looked at an increase of LDL. So I think that the kind of jury is still out on the cholesterol metabolism. However, that HDL boost would be something that we would see. So if you know you're low HDL, that might be something to consider. Again, if you're someone that runs high triglycerides, maybe not the best option to consider there. And we do know that the EGCG and green tea will have uh, triglyceride lowering effects, mm-hmm. as well as, of course, omega-3 fatty acids, um, which probably not going to be sipping on your fish oil per se. No. Uh, but getting those in, of course, would help to bring that back into track. Um, we've seen that there can be an increase in the world of cardiovascular levels of homocysteine. So this is going to be often speaking to methylation uh, processes in the body. So especially for an individual that's MTHFR, I would say especially the dual um more dynamic, the C677T gene is the more influential of the two. Uh, if someone is is homozygous, uh, homozygous on, I was going to say heterozygous and homozygous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If someone is homozygous or both of their genes in that pathway are snipped, they're going to be much more prone to having an unfavorable impact with coffee, I would say. And they're also going to be someone who's already prone to having unfavorable methylation, which is that process of building or excreting. And individuals that have methylation issues already are prone to high homocysteine. And homocysteine is a marker of rigidity in the blood vessels. And so this can be a cardiovascular risk factor. Again, if you know that as a baseline, you'd have to weigh off the stroke prevention and the arrhythmia benefits. Um, and kind of see what fits best for your body. Sure. Um, And then in the world of gut health, um, obviously this depends on kind of your your baseline state or where you're starting from as well, but certainly we know coffee can be a culprit for heartburn in individuals that tend to have heartburn or reflux or um, GERD, just the acidity. Mm -hmm. Um, Some individuals do experience digestive discomfort or indigestion. Especially with like ulcerations, Mm -hmm. right? Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Um, and then we can see impact as well on um, gut flora and dysbiosis again from the acidity of the coffee. Yeah, and so what's interesting to note here, um, well, A, you could bring in the GI lining support would be key yes. to help to kind of yeah, coat and protect. Yeah, yeah. And I do have clients that will do a scoop of GI lining, those coffee drinkers that won't give it up, mm-hmm. they'll do a scoop of GI lining support in the morning first and then have their coffee like 30 yeah. minutes after. And that's a technique. That's a way to kind of mitigate or you know offset that potential harmful effect. But what I think, again, is a singing song to tea is we talked in our last gut episode on the benefit of tannins actually working as like prebiotics Mm -hmm. and how tannins also in tea can have many more studied influences on actually fighting pathogen. So when we're talking about someone that's had resistant candidiasis or candida overgrowth or multiple rounds of dysbiosis and SIBO, 
I would say that those individuals are just going to do better in that benefit that tea can provide for their caffeine instead of coffee for those reasons that you're getting actually benefit versus potential imbalance driving effects. And um, another reason why we advocate for taking probiotics in the evening time versus in the morning is that, you know, if you're taking your probiotic with coffee, you're getting that acidity factor and that might impact the, you know, benefit of, of probiotics. So all the more reasons to take it at night. Yeah. And on the digestive piece of constipation and bowel regularity, I think this is where people love coffee, right? right? Like people actually do coffee enemas because that stimulant in the epithelial of the gut will actually drive bowel motility. Um, We also know that through oral consumption, consuming coffee can create kind of that peristalsis or excitatory pumping in the gut where we don't often get that as much with tea and actually tea in some individuals can be constipating. Sure. So I'll play on both sides, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think, again, if you're someone that deals with more sluggish bowels, coffee may be more of your go-to friend for gut health, but you need to make sure that you are supporting with quality probiotics and maybe doing the probiotic challenge to ensure mm-hmm. you're not driving dysbiosis in the process. Sure. Um, And then, you know, when we're talking about coffee in general, I think it's all about, you know, we've talked about like how much you're consuming, how you consume it. Um, One big area that we get into trouble is obviously with like the high calorie drinks or just the add-ins in general. Um, So, you know, adding again, like the hazelnut creamer, whatever that stuff is international delight is that the oh brand? my goodness yeah. i know and, and i mean we're getting hydrogenated oils in there yeah. and soybean oil in our coffee all of a sudden and we're getting you know concentrated fructose and even of the natural products like i am not a fan of oat milk which is the now right. on trend barista blend um because again it's synthetically enriched and it uses so many binders and stabilizers to make that watery substance yeah. more palatable and give it some viscosity, if you yeah. will, um, because it really should just be like watery. If right. It's true oat milk. Um, so be mindful of even those quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, guys, health supporting coffee additives or what you're doing with your um, lattes or cortados or whatever yeah. you're, you're mixing in that I would just go with whole fat cow's milk and ideally now the way I've been drinking coffee when I'm having it is yes as a vehicle to consume my raw milk yeah. so it's like really like raw milk 60 to 70 percent with like you a know splash 30, of yes a, a splash of coffee just to give it some color yeah I yes. like that I like that um, and yeah, with the oat milk, it's often very high in carbohydrate too, which, you know, would not work for like a, a fat fast, um, right. certainly, or, or wouldn't work if we're trying to intermittent fast and you're getting that, you know, hit of like 17 grams in, you know, your morning oat milk latte. Totally. And, and many of them are sweetened mm-hmm. on top of that. Right. Totally. Right. So we talked about the impact of why we pull coffee out from the 10-day detox and how tea, especially green tea, can really support detoxification in the liver. Um, I think it's worth noting that uh, we want to be mindful of coffee consumption in the morning and morning medications because there is an influence on drug metabolism through those cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver. 
And when we consume, as, as we've experienced with our delightful headache the next right, morning, right. <laughs> not via medication induction, but just because of that interference with detox, mm-hmm. right? And so it is worth noting that if you're someone like, yes, of course, there are benefits in exercise and performance, and there are benefits likely in the support of body composition change with body fat burn and some thermogenesis, gray fat enhancement. Uh, but with that being said, if you're someone that's hypothyroid and you're taking levothyroxine, or Synthroid, which would be the name brand version of that, um, we can actually see interference. We know that we're supposed to separate thyroid medications four hours from minerals and foods, but often individuals are having black coffee or coffee with a mix-in with their Synthroid, and we can see reduced impact of that medication. Um, We can also see interference with things like tricyclic antidepressants. So we can see poor absorption of various morning medications, and then that can, of course, exacerbate symptoms or, worse off, drive higher medication prescription, which creates Mm -hmm. really a slippery slope of polypharmacy. So be mindful of that binding effect. Not only can we see the um, dehydration and diuretic effect, throwing off your electrolytes in the body, we can also see that throwing off the metabolism of medications and even the um, metabolism of the detox process itself. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a a really important note. Um, Okay, so obviously all coffee is not created equal. And and like we've said here, the poison is kind of in the dose. Um, How much coffee is too much what's kind of your recommendation you know for someone who doesn't experience any of the negative symptoms what's kind of the the happy medium place to be okay so when we're looking at a moderate amount of coffee we want to stay like i said under that magic 500 milligrams of caffeine per day um and i honestly think that's high i I do too i even say like um, you know, for pregnant women, it's it's under 200 milligrams or less. So again, some women that are pregnant, like avoid caffeine completely. I kept with one cup of coffee a day at that time. And again, you know, now I'm even drinking less. Um, when we're looking at the concentration, it's going to depend on the brew and the bean itself. Um, so for instance, like a Starbucks venti, which is that larger size, has um, 410 milligrams of caffeine in that one venti Starbucks. Sure. Yep. Um, and yeah, I drink coffee while pregnant too. I always say one to two cups. Is, yeah, I say keep fine. it consistent. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and you know, when I'm looking at coffee beyond the interference with detox pathways, like I said, I think it's up in the air as far as estrogen metabolism as a negative consideration, but... If you are someone who runs estrogen dominant and you're consider consuming coffee daily, I think it's worth trying, wouldn't you say, oh, to yeah. pull it out for three months yeah. and see how your estrogen levels look at. Same of any of these, right? If you're dealing with hypothyroid and you keep upping your medication, maybe check if your coffee is impacting your metabolic right. influence. Or if you're dealing with mood imbalance and anxiety, pull that coffee out first or at least offset it. But one concern that I have with coffee across the board is the mold and toxicity. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about not only interference with that metabolism in the liver, um, we're looking at the fact that many roasted beans are going to contain acrylamide. Um, And acrylamide is what happens through that roasting high heat process. 
Um, and this is a category of carcinogenic compounds. So when we look at the impact of coffee, there's that as a consideration. And then mycotoxins might be right. even a larger concern. And this is the mold toxicity that we're going to see with coffee. There was a study that actually looked at 91.7, that's almost all essentially, 92% of green coffee beans contaminated with mold. Um, and this is before they're processed, which then once they're processed and stored, who knows the conditions of storage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there could be even more of that mold grown. Um, Another study looked at 52% of green coffee beans and almost 50% of brewed coffees being moldy. And so coffee could be your personal highest source of mycotoxin impact in your body. And, um, you know, this is bad news for your body. It can impact, again, cancer risk from the acrylamide and that toxicity. We're also looking at impact on kidney health and then immune system. Basically, you're carrying a foreign substance that your body's trying to battle, which can create chronic inflammation and imbalance. And this is where for those coffee consumers, I would say, you know, if you are not doing one that is third party tested to be mold free or free of those mycotoxins, um, which often is going to be associated with the way that it's processed, right? So like the the wet um, processing versus mm-hmm. the natural dry African coffee. Um, you know, I would really say if, if you feel good about your coffee, maybe look at if they've done any testing on their mycotoxins, but also for the coffee consumers, they would want to consider the, re, um, the rebuild spectrum probiotic, which has the Saccharomyces boulardii in there sure. and also the yep. kind of, um, you know, more strain dynamics of diversity to protect against mold toxicity in the body in the first place. Yep. And, and even looking at the variety of beans, so like not going for like the mass market coffees and like folders and things like that, going for a single right. estate grown yes. as the Arabica, 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 I don't know. Ar- like Arabic. Yeah. Um, Arabica um, beans typically are going to have less mold. And yeah, looking at somewhere that does like the natural sun drying, like we were at coffee plantations in in Colombia and got to watch and, and participate in the process of like drying and spreading out the beans in the sun versus having in that wet and moldy those burlap bags right like imagine if those go into a dark shaded place that's that's humid and like that's creating quite the environment for mold and and i think it's unrealistic to probably see as i was saying get third-party tested coffee i mean i I think at some points when you're looking at companies that have that third-party testing then they're becoming a pretty large market space Uh and a pretty large producer which could be fine and if if that works best for your body that could be very appropriate but also, yes, some of these single bean, slow, shade grown, fair trade, and, yeah. and knowing kind of the grower and that right. kind of connection, I think, could also be a really appropriate way without that lab verification per totally. se. Totally. And I know like Dave Asprey gets really nerdy with his bulletproof coffee. So if right. you have had mold issues in the past and you totally. want to be like super sure, you he- could go there. He's a great resource for yeah. all of this stuff well beyond what we understand. But for sure, if you have you know, history of, of mold toxicity, it could also be a thing to just cut out and see how you do, you know, six weeks without coffee. That man likes his stimulants though. He, he sure does. His, he loves nicotine, nicotine spray. <laughs> that, uh, got us with it. Me with it. Paleo effects, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and let's just rapid fire through maybe some of the trendy yeah. stuff out there. So mm-hmm. 
Thoughts on Keurig pods or K-cups or these like single individual Nespresso pods? I just can't wrap my mind around them. And and honestly, so you have to think that we're creating a lot of heat in the process. So these are confirmed to be BPA-free and made of quote-unquote safe plastic. But we know that all plastic has xenoestrogen in it. And so anytime plastic is heated we're going to have a influence with contact with plastic chemicals and that estrogenic expression. And I think that would be the biggest area if you're running estrogen dominant. And also consider again, as I was saying, the coffee pots we used to use when I was, you know, 1920 with the timers, that was all right. a plastic, right? you know, the, the pot actually, the expensive ones had the glass pot, um, you know, as far as what you're pouring out of, but if it's being brewed through right, plastic, plastic, regardless uh-huh. of the K pod, same thing. Right. And that's where the best way of brewing coffee would be doing a French press, which is all glass and stainless steel, or a Chemex, mm-hmm. where you're pouring that slow drip pour over, um, you know, or a fancy espresso setup where you have all stainless steel apparatus sure. and glass. Yep. Yep. Um, what about mushroom coffee? This is like the new big thing. So like the Rasa coffee yeah, um, or like some of the adaptogenic mud water I know is a big one that a lot of clients are, are doing right now. Yeah. So I think that this is a great way to like boost your coffee or do a favorable um, alternate. So a couple things, you know, you can add, like I have lion's mane from our farmer's mm-hmm. market, right? Um, and I have reishi mushroom ground up. I have from the wild foods blend there, you know, four mushroom blend. Um, so to throw a teaspoon or half teaspoon of an adaptogenic mushroom into your coffee would be a great way to mitigate that adrenal stress response and um, could be used also with CBD to really try to neutralize it. So then you're getting that nootropic brain cognitive enhancement while reducing the fight or flight stress response. Um, And this could be even like as simple as pouring some four sigmatic into that. I I believe a lot of the four sigmatic products have uh, stevia or monk fruit or some non-caloric sweetener that I'm not a fan of, but I think there are some unflavored, which could be appropriate. The rasa looked super clean. Um, It's predominantly herbal. It does have a lot of herbs in it though, and I'm not super versed in traditional Chinese medicine. So some of those like female tonifying herbs and such, it would just be dependent on your own personal hormone balance. And then there are like that one, the rasa uses like a chicory dandelion root base. So that would be an alternative not to use with, of course, Mm -hmm. the coffee. Um, Then there are just the dandelion root tea, the big old bulk bags, which I've tried sipping on during detox. I just prefer going green tea then yeah though. green yeah. tea i love a good earl gray or an english breakfast tea with the bergamot in the earl gray um I, i'm good to just stick with you know I, I mean yes dandelion root and chicory are plants as well but that like um toastiness flavor uh-huh. and and just the kind of bland doesn't really do it for me personally but could be a great way to support if you have you know liver toxicity or estrogen dominance that dandelion root chicory could be a great supporter there and um, even like mud water, that's kind of like an alternate option to the Cocotropics, which is through wild foods, um, which is like a cacao base and then has turmeric and some adaptogenic herbs in there. I think that these could be really great things that you could swap out in replacement of coffee and still could keep coffee a couple times a week. Or just add them in. Yeah, <laughs> you get add that Cocotropics right. into your. I have latte made lattes sure. with it's them. Delicious. Yeah, and there's this. Um, let's put this in the show notes. That I think it's actually on our Amazon store. That um, cacao ghee 
That's yeah. like, if I was like making a super sexy coffee, I would do like eight ounces of that with, you know, a good two teaspoons of that chocolate ghee. It's basically just cacao powder, dates, and ghee oh, yeah. all blended so together. Yummy. And then Cocoa Tropics and blend that up. And that's like happening. That's yep. an indulgence and also a brain boost. Yeah. All right. Let's hit on decaf and what to be mindful of. Yeah, so the big thing with decaf is the chemical solvents in the reduction of caffeine from the coffee bean itself. Um, so you want to make sure that you're doing a water processed decaf. This would be one that would be much cleaner and have less of that chemical residue. So uh, water pressed, water processed decaf would be okay. And that's going to have though less of the caffeine. And remember, a lot of the health supporting benefits of coffee included the benefits of caffeine. Right. So there's the dance there. Uh, This is a question we get a lot. Can I count my coffee or tea toward my water consumption for the day? (laughs) What's your two cents on that? I say no, um, but I would say if you're counting your coffee that, A, I don't, I mean, you know, generally speaking, I don't want most people having more than 20 ounces of coffee anyway, and I guess they could count half of that. Sure. If we're talking tea, generally I let them count the tea towards their fluid consumption for the day. Yeah, and, and most of that with the coffee is due to that diuretic yes impact absolutely so if you're trying to hydrate you're dehydrating right. with this liquid right and if you're getting to five plus cups and trying to count all of that as water no yes. that's a no <laughs> yes absolutely and then if we're talking about caffeine um concentration sure like green tea, the thing that i would also note about tea that i haven't really called out is a it's going to be generally speaking 50 percent or less of the caffeine in concentrate per eight ounces of beverage unless you're doing matcha Now, Mm -hmm. matcha will actually have more caffeine than a cup of coffee because it has 10 times the concentration of the green tea leaf. Um, I'm actually, right now these days, just a straight up green tea drinker. Um, And so I'm getting like a a quarter actually, you know, black tea is about 50%, green tea is about a quarter of the amount of caffeine in coffee. But the beauty with tea is you're getting that L-theanine. And L-theanine is that amino acid that aids in the modulation or the balance of your neurotransmitters. So it can help on all assets of the serotonin or dopamine or norepinephrine or epinephrine and help to ensure that you're not going into that fight or flight or depressed and anxious state, the L-theanine is a mood enhancer. And I find much more stabilized mood and less irritability in my ritual of switching from coffee to tea. And I did it in a really stressful time as I've been approaching my move out here to Hill Country. And I've noticed just feeling more toned overall. And I attribute that to the L-theanine. So if you're a coffee drinker that doesn't want to switch to tea, then I would say you would need to strongly consider the Calm and Clear in our line, which Calm yeah. and Clear is going to yeah. give you that L-theanine, especially if you're running that evening, like you're taking it in, at bed, that L-theanine modulates and then you know helps, of course, also with those nervines for depth and quality of sleep. But if you're getting jittery, that might be something to incorporate throughout the day. Totally. I'm taking Calm yeah. and Clear all day long, yeah. all the time anyway. <laughs> And then um, the adaptogen boost would be the other supplement I would call out in today's episode. Um, Just like adding those um, adaptogenic mushrooms like the chaga and the reishi and the um, lion's mane to your coffee blends, you could also just take adaptogen boost and that's going to be a great way with that ginseng, rhodiola, and cordyceps to support the adrenals to not get too surgy and also aid in that stress-induced fatigue so that you're not reaching for that next cup of coffee 
I just had one of our naturally nourished ambassadors um, share that she's a teacher and she was sharing that and she's weaned her coffee afternoon habit by having two adaptogen mm-hmm. boosts yep. and she feels like it's a much cleaner burning fuel for her. Yep. That's what I always say to clients. I'm like, okay, I want you to tell me what time you would normally have your afternoon cup of coffee. I want you to try for one week, do the adaptogen boost first. That's like the yep. prime time to kind of place yes. it where you get that afternoon slump and you're not going to have the disturbance of sleep like you would, you know, if you're consuming caffeine after like that 2 p.m. timestamp. Yes, and there's some studies out there that vitamin C can actually help with caffeine addiction, and I believe that that's because of that influence on the adrenals. So like two Bio-C Plus daily will Mm -hmm. give you over a gram or a 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. That's going to tonify those adrenal glands, aid in that cortisol metabolism, as well as that dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. And so that could help help to regulate so you're not as dependent and help you with kind of weaning or bringing that down. Vitamin C rich foods could be considered. And if you're needing that bowel support as you bring down your coffee habit, then that's where relax and regulate could be a fantastic tool to layer in um, because that's going to help with that uh, bowel regularity and relaxation of the tension that we hold in the gut when we kind of lock up in the colon. Totally. And and if you get any of the like withdrawal headaches um, from weaning caffeine too, that's a really great supplement. And then the super turmeric, I think, would be an added kind of bonus layer to that but we recommend kind of slowly titrating down versus like cold turkey quitting yes all caffeine um just so it's not as unpleasant yes so let's just close things out with how we're drinking coffee today and then a fun recipe to share with listeners sure um so yeah right now i'm doing like one to two cups daily byron makes it for me in the morning which is amazing he like goes and starts the water when we first hear Noah and then one of us goes and gets him while it's brewing and and getting ready Um, but one to two cups um, usually I'm doing like a splash of raw milk and a little bit of that grass-fed salted Kerrygold butter um, and a scoop or two of collagen all blended in there Um, if I do cold brew which is very rare I will add CBD as I mentioned to that like CBD and and coconut milk but fall now I probably won't be getting into that kind of trouble and are you whipping the raw milk into it and doing that hot or are you whipping it all and then pouring the raw milk on top whipping and pouring it on top because Byron doesn't add it to his because I was gonna say I think it because it like will froth and foam and I don't always like that flavor I like I like blending those things I do it that way too or I do the butter and collagen whip that and then like pour and then stir it in because then you get that like more the true viscosity of the raw milk versus messing with it's almost like you're homo- homo- you know you're not filtering it but right messing with it. You might be doing something because it's pretty delicate, I think. For sure. And that's the problem with the raw milk consumption with me is I love raw milk and I love getting that in for the immunoglobulins. And so I'm if I'm doing if I got delicious raw milk, then I might be doing cold brew because I like to keep right, it cold for right. that reason. And like I said, I'll do like six ounces of raw milk with like an ounce or two of cold brew and that works okay for me. Um, but generally right now where I am, if, if I'm drinking what I call now a sexy coffee, it's a cortado, which is like a one-to-one blend of espresso and, and um, whole fat cow's milk. And that would be maybe like twice a month now, whereas in my old life, <laughs> it would be at least like twice a week where maybe Brady would pick me up a cortado after right. dropping stealth at school. 
And yes, I love that ritual of kind of Brady bringing me my coffee as well, but he has um, been doing green tea for me now, which has been really beautiful. Or again, I'll, I'll do an Earl Grey. Those are my two go-tos. Um, there is a pack from Rishi, which is like a matcha style green tea, but it's still just a green tea bag. I like that, it's less grassy. And so I've been doing that with just water. And I've just been liking because of the summer, not adding anything to the tea, like doing tea with a lemon or a lime. So more of like a quote unquote naked fast. And then I've been going for more of like the olive oil on the plate mm-hmm. or nut butter instead of the coconut oil and butter. And currently I've been doing coffee like as a weekend ritual, then I'll do like the blended with the coconut oil, the um, grass fed butter, pinch of salt and collagen. And then that's something I'll do like Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, take it on my way to church. And that's like my new established ritual. But the weekdays, I'm trying to not mess with coffee and keep it team tea. And it's been helping my Oof, brain, I swear. Good for you, mama. <laughs> Maybe still got I'll a little one. Someday. still got a little one. It's all good. I think we um, decided that coffee is mostly good for my adrenals, I right? So. I mean, hey, your adrenals are looking good. I think we're all good. You made it. Um, and then I will share with y'all the Banana Bolts smoothie link, which oh, is another yeah. fun way to mess with coffee. Um, it uses a cold brew as the base. Uh, along with full-fat coconut milk or almond milk you can choose uh, based on how much calorie density you want. But it has grass-fed whey in there, half of frozen banana, cacao powder. And it's like a really great like post-workout recovery. I, I find that to be great. And you're at least getting like the potassium and some electrolyte boost with that banana. And then you're getting the branched-chain amino acids in the grass-fed whey. It's delicious. It is. It is. Awesome. So we hope to see you all at Next Level Keto. Make sure that you sign up over at AllieMillerRD.com. That could be a way where you go through the nitty gritty of all of these things, habits that you've established that you want to know specifically, is this working to serve me, my body, and my goals, or do I have to recalibrate and switch things up? And we will be there for you for all six classes to help you to navigate friend or foe. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. If you loved today's episode, go on over to iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Leave us a five-star review as well as a sentence or two of what you're loving. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.